Good morning again, friends and family, San Mateo and elsewhere. It's good to be together, uh, gathered for worship, gathered for prayer, gathered for celebration, gathered around God's word and in Jesus' name. We all have experience getting ready for things in our lives. We've all gotten ready for a variety of things over the course of our lives. I remember the first time I got ready for a date, for my very first date, and what that was like, and all the nerves involved in that. Deciding what to wear, deciding what to do, deciding where to go, deciding, thinking about how to be. We've all gotten ready for tests in school and vocational exams of different sorts by studying and studying and studying and then getting a good night's sleep. We've gotten ready for job interviews, reviewing our resumes, getting to know the interviewer's company, shining our shoes, brushing our hair, getting the particles of food out from between our teeth. Some people get ready for dental appointments by flossing their teeth for the first time in six months. My wife is really good at preparing, getting ready for family trips, sometimes beginning that process as much as a week ahead of time. People get ready for weddings. People get ready for court cases. I remember many years ago in the long adoption process, after having filled out tons of forms, written lots of essays, being fingerprinted by the government, Karen and I were almost ready, getting ready to welcome into our home a social worker who would do the required home study for us as part of the process, which involved all of these references and looking around in the corners of our home and sitting down and interviewing us, observing our home life, getting to know us personally. We were about to meet and welcome into our home the person who held the keys to a very important event in our lives and in our future. And so we prepared and we prepared and we prepared. We were focused on getting ready for her visit and being ready for her her visit. We had to be prepared. We had to be ready. That's a little little of what we're talking about this morning as we again jump into the Gospel of Mark as we began last week. We're going to start at Mark chapter eight, but before we chapter one, but before we do that, let's pray together. Pray with me. God, we open ourselves up to you. We breathe in, we breathe out. We invite you, Holy Spirit, breath of God, presence and power of God, into our lives, into our reality, into our minds, into our hearts. We open ourselves to you. Give us eyes that are good to see, ears that are able to hear, hearts that are good and fertile soil to receive your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly forgotten, passed over, deleted. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So last Sunday morning, we started a journey through the Gospel of Mark. We only got through verse 1 last Sunday morning. We're going to get a little bit further this morning, but we're still going to start at at verse 1 of chapter 1, reading that verse that we agreed last week was both Mark's title and his introduction, all in one little verse. We'll start there. Listen closely. This 
is the word of God. In the beginning of the, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Every one of the little sections and passages in Mark's gospel is about Mark's main character, Jesus. Except for two little sections, both of which are about this man, John. We know this John is John the Baptist, though he was neither Baptist, nor Presbyterian, nor Methodist, nor any such thing. Mark and the other gospel writers call him the Baptist, or literally in Greek, the baptizer, because that's what he did. Baptizing people is what most distinguished this John from all of the other Johns at that time in that world. And yet baptizing was only a part of what this John did, a part of his mission, a part of what he was about. Mark begins with Scripture. As an author, he was not focused as focused on the Jewish audience as was, for example, the gospel writer Matthew, who in writing his gospel was just immersed in Scripture. But Mark still relies on and refers back to the Scriptures we call the Old Testament. Mark still appeals to Scripture, specifically quoting, even in his introduction, from both the prophet's Malachi and Isaiah, the latter of whom he quotes here by name. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's mission, John's purpose was to be a forerunner for a king, a forerunner for the Lord. Kings didn't just show up unannounced then as they don't show up unannounced now. Their coming and their arrival were announced as euangelion, as we talked about last Sunday, as good news, as glad news, as gospel, as glad tidings well in advance, and John was the forerunner of such, and the herald, the announcer. And when a king or emperor would visit a region, bridges would be repaired, roads would be smoothed, security would be tightened. The king was coming, and in this case, Messiah was coming. More than that, Son of God was coming, and more than that, God himself was coming. And so John's divinely appointed role was to proclaim, as Isaiah had proclaimed, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And who was the Lord? Mark told us in his title, in his introduction, verse 1, Jesus, 
the Messiah or the Christ, the Son of God. And in verse 7, Mark tells us more this week in John's words. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with spirit. Holy Spirit. And John tells us three things there. First, Jesus would have great power. Not the world's kind of power, but a still great and greater power. And this is going to be a theme throughout Mark's gospel. The power of Jesus. Second, so good, grand, and glorious would be Jesus that John, whom Jesus in Matthew's gospel says is the greatest man ever born of woman, was not even worthy to stoop down and untie Jesus' sandals. So high above all others would be Jesus, John said, that John was not even worthy to do what was the job of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servants, untie his shoes. And then third, John baptized with water. Jesus would baptize with Spirit. Holy Spirit. And though John doesn't tell us exactly what that means, neither here or throughout the rest of his gospel, and Mark doesn't include in his gospel anything like a a Pentecost event like we read in the book of Acts. Nevertheless, we infer that Jesus will confer the Holy Spirit, which in the Old Testament is only done by God. Something only done by God. Something big is coming. Someone big, someone big, monumental, paradigm shifting, heart transforming, world changing is about to arrive about to come on the scene are you ready prepare the way for the lord make straight paths for him every valley shall be filled in every mountain and hill made low the crooked road shall become straight the rough ways smooth and all people will see god's salvation John the Baptist quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 in Luke's gospel. Fill in the potholes, repave the roads, repair all the bridges, clean up the streets, the prophet declared. And yet, it's not really the highways that are the issue that need to be addressed as much as it is the hearts, minds, affections, Attitudes, practices, disciplines, habits, lives that need work and attention and repair and renovation and cleaning up. For God's leading, John positioned himself in the wilderness as the entire people of Israel had once been in the wilderness. God was leading his people into a new reality then. Centuries earlier, led out by Moses, out of Egypt, through the wilderness, into salvation. And soon, again now, to another salvation. By another whom John is now introducing. In the tradition of Elijah, whom the Jews believed would return ahead of the Messiah and usher him in. John wore clothing made of camel's hair. Anticipation was building. 
Mark tells us the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to John. And while Mark may have been writing hyperbolically here, his point was clear. People were flocking to John. People believed John was about to do something new. New For 400 years, 400 years, the prophets of God had been silent. But now the sound of a Savior was growing, increasing, crescendoing. And the crowds kept coming. They didn't want to miss what or who John was announcing. And John said this, this brothers and sisters, this fellow Jews, this men and women, this is how to get ready. Repent and be baptized and you will be forgiven. Repent and be baptized and God will forgive you. And so John appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River to repent in Greek Metanoia means to change one's mind, to change one's outlook, to change one's orientation, to go another way. To repent in Hebrew, teshuva, or simply shuv means to turn or to return. To return to God. To repent was to return to God, which is why when we baptize someone or receive someone, to the, in, someone into the church or the life of the body of Christ, one of the questions that we always ask them publicly is, do you turn? Do you turn from sin and everything that keeps you from God? And do you turn to? Do you turn away from and do you turn to or return to God? relying on His grace in Jesus, do you? And this was John's message. And responding to John's message and compelled to confess their sins, this massive number of people were baptized by John in the Jordan River, the same river the people of Israel had crossed 40 years after wandering in the wilderness to enter their promised land. And yet, baptism was not something that Jewish people ordinarily did. It was not a part of their practice, their customs, their religion, except for Gentile people who were brought into the Christian, to the Jewish faith. The Jewish people had ceremonial cleansing. They had circumcision as a means or a sign of remembering God's promises. But baptism was not an ordinary part of what it meant to be a Jewish person. They were already in God's covenant family as they understood that. Baptism was for those people who were dirty, who were outside, who were foreigners, who were on the other side of the wall. And so rarely when someone from outside was brought in, came in, entered in, a Gentile, a Greek, they, that's what baptism was for. And yet 
these Jewish people were responding to John's call to be baptized because so radical was what was about to happen. This radical new thing in Jesus. And so when a Jewish person came for baptism with John, they were saying, like a Gentile, like a foreigner, like someone outside the family, like the unrighteous, I have nothing to offer on my own before God except relying and leaning on His promises and His grace. I have nothing to offer on my own. And so they came and they presented themselves for baptism, a baptism of repentance. And in doing so, by putting baptism before repentance, Mark is not saying, he is certainly not saying, that baptism forces God's hand with regard to forgiving us. That's not the way it works at all. But rather, baptism is saying, I have nothing to offer. I confess my sin. I seek your forgiveness, God, which itself is a gift and not something I can compel you, God, to do. But it is by grace alone that I submit myself to you and in baptism acknowledge my sin and my brokenness, my failures, my delinquency, my weaknesses of all sorts. Jesus, later on, a couple of verses beyond our passage that we'll see in the next week or two, also calls people to repentance. It's the doorway into the kingdom of God. It's the doorway into the new reality. It's the doorway into life in Christ. It's the doorway into salvation. If one wants to get ready, repentance is the way in. And along with that, confessing one's sins. I say to my kids, I'm not asking you to change, to be different, to be sorry, to repent, to do things differently because I'm mad or upset or don't like you or don't love you. But rather, I'm correcting you as a parent out of love and because I love you. And because it's only in realizing one's wrong and in repenting and changing and turning around and going the other way that one can live the life that God has for you, inaugurated by Jesus and available in Jesus. We have a, we can have in our minds a negative understanding of repentance, as if it's not a part of the good news. We have seen in our minds and maybe in media and maybe in person ourselves, people carrying placards condemning certain other people to hell and punishment and perdition. Signs that say, repent, repent, you evil sinner. That's not the way it is in the scriptures. Once upon a time, there was a house painter, and the house painter figured out along the way in his practice, in his business, that if he put water in the water-based paint, that the paint would go a longer way and he could paint more house with less paint thus saving him money thus making him more money and so one day he was painting a house and 
got finished and all of a sudden from heaven, boom, flash, rain, thunderstorm, here came the rains. And because he had used watered down paint, washed away all of the paint on that house. And he looked up to heaven and went, what's up? The next day, had to repaint the house. The same thing happened the next day. And the next day, just as he finished, boom, crash, lightning, bam, rain, thunder showers washed away all of his paint. And finally, after three or four days of it, he looked up to heaven and said, what's up, God? What's up? And the voice from the clouds and from the heavens came back and said, repaint, repaint, and thin no more. Repentance isn't bad news, but it's a part of the good news, part of the gospel, part of the glad tidings, opening up us to the way of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the forgiveness and mercy of God, that God's just literally dying to impart to us in Jesus. And so we get to the part of this message where we get to confess our sins, to go out to the desert, to go to John, so to speak, whether we've been baptized or not, to go out to John to hear his message about getting ready to receive Jesus into our lives again today as a part of this table, as a part of our ongoing life with Christ, and as we look forward to Jesus coming again in glory and for the final time. We get to have the opportunity to repent and to confess our sins. And they, at least speaking for myself, are abundant. What are our sins? What are our sinfulness? What does that look like? What are the specifics? I can't answer that for you, and I'm not going to attempt to confess your sin. That is uh, something that each of us get to do for ourselves. But I can assure you, against what some have said publicly, that we all have sinned to confess we all have sin that needs to be forgiven by God we all like sheep have gone astray John wrote if we deny our sin we are not faithful and we deny God's presence in our lives and so we come confessing our sin I will tell you this though because John doesn't get specific here John the Baptist about what kinds of sin to confess but over in the parallel passage in Luke's gospel, which is a little bit longer and gives a little bit more detail, John does get specific. Luke records conversations that John has. They go like this. People ask him, what are we to confess? What sins? And John replies, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? John said, don't collect any more than you're required to. Not than you're able to, but than you're required to. In other words, come clean on your work. Live with integrity. Confess the gaps in your integrity. Then some soldiers asked John the Baptist, and what should we do? And John replied, don't only confess and speak 
but a part of your repentance. Your repentance is don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And what rises out of these three conversations with me is the significance of material goods, physical goods, money, possessions. And Jesus said, you can't serve both God and money. And so part of probably a lot of our confession and then our repentance is about the way we handle money, the way we treat money, the way we hold on to money, the way we obsess about money, the reluctance that we have sometimes to give and to share and to bless and to trust God with our money. We're going to pray a prayer together as a part of our preparation for the table a prayer that comes out of the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. I'm going to put it up on the screen uh, in just a moment, right now actually. And let us, as we prepare to eat and to drink together, pray these words out loud. You may kneel, you may stand, whatever you need to do right now in order to Let these words be your words. Let's pray. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. In your mercy, Forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen.